this is Derek Karp, the founder and chairman of CSA and your host for the CSA podcast show. And I'm super excited uh, to introduce my guest today. This is another in our series of interviewing cybersecurity leaders across industry, across geographies, across every way we can find. We want to have all these different voices represented and pull their stories out of them. And, and hopefully these will be valuable to you if you've, if you've tuned in before. You know, they share their journey and the things that uh, they've done uh, that, that worked and the things that they would do differently and some advice uh, that might be useful to those of you that are making career choices uh, uh, today. So today I have uh, Katie Fearson on the line, uh, on the show. Uh, she is the ICS Cybersecurity Laboratory Technical Director for Bechtel. She is, uh, she's an engineer, but, you know, by training and by DNA, she would probably say, but she's also a, a leader and we'll talk about how that evolved for her. She loves to travel. She's a live music fan. She is a teammate. She's somebody that you can count on and want to have in your corner. And I'm really excited to have Katie on the show. Hi, Derek. Thanks so much. You bet. You bet. Well, let's let's go back. I always like to say cybersecurity people are today's some of today's modern superheroes and all superheroes have a backstory. So what's your backstory? Where where did Katie come from? Sure. I uh, I grew up in rural Minnesota um, in a town of 500 people, so a pretty pretty small existence. Um, actually, the the town I grew up in is the same town my parents grew up in. They were neighbors as kids, so wow, uh, big family nearby, <laughs> big part of my of my um, upbringing. Yeah, you spent your whole your whole formative years there, and it's it's college is college is why you end up leaving. Yeah. So um, first time I, I lived in a house other than the house, I, uh, you know, my parents brought me home from the hospital in was when I went off to college. I went to college at uh, Iowa State University. So go Cyclones. <laughs> well, same for me in Indiana. So I relate to that. I, I went off to college. That was my first time. And that the summer, well, my freshman, between sophomore, freshman years, first time I was on a commercial aircraft. So the college years were, for, were a lot of firsts for me growing up in, in a corporate. Yep. Let's just talk about, is there is there any kind of technology you end up pursuing engineering? And we'll talk about that. Is there any technology or engineering nexus with your early years? Or nope, it just happens once you go to school and start deciding to study something? Or what, what is that? When does that come into play? As many engineers, I've got the story my parents tell about taking apart the toaster, putting it back together. I always was very interested in how things work together. So I was probably an engineer from day one, and that's that's what I had always said I wanted to be. And thankfully, I made it through physics in my freshman and sophomore years of college so I could graduate with my, my chemical engineering degree. You touched a sore spot for me. I, I had to take three semesters of physics required by my Navy scholarship, and science was not my and math, advanced math were not my thing. Those were tough. Two, two semesters of calc and I think two of physics or maybe three. You, give, me organic, <laughs> give me organic chemistry. Give me thermodynamics. Just don't make me do physics. I'm with you on that. You're studying this. What are you thinking you're going to you're going to do as you're going through that? I'm always curious at the, the building blocks of careers. Some people are like, this is what I knew I was going to do. It. I went off to do it. And some are like, no, I didn't know. So I wasn't exactly certain what I was going to do with my engineering degree. I really liked... I like some of the process control classes I took in, you know, my junior and senior years of college. And so I was very interested in pursuing that because I found it interesting and in, in how you get everything to work together. So there was a specific job or a specific company I was targeting. I, I was just looking for something interesting and challenging um, that allow me to kind of pursue that passion. Now, this is great. I think if you're listening, you're an engineering student somewhere. You know, this is where you can convince that they're stuck in something, but you can go from a variety of engineering backgrounds to a lot of different applications, right? And then learn, as we'll talk about, learn on the job, a whole host of new things that you didn't know. It's really a, a leaping off point to lots of things, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think back to some of my, you know, chemical engineering friends from college and the different 
diverse. I mean, one of my good friends is a high school chemistry teacher now. Another one is a, you know, a safety professional in a, in a manufacturing plant. Another one works for a brewery. So, I mean, people, we're, we're kind of all over the place. And I think that's one great thing about being an engineer is it, it allows you to find something that's interesting and challenging and, and you can make a career out of that. This next part, I just I don't want to steal the thunder because I know the punchline. But you know, did you have you know I knew what company I was going to go for and uh, and I'm going to apply. I'm going to get in there, or did you not know where you're going to go? What how did you end up? What was your first job? My first job out of college is working for Bechtel, the same company I work for today. So 19 years later. I had no idea who I was going to work for. Um, rather than doing internships in college, I did study abroad programs. So, you know, I didn't have a company experience to go back on. So I was working with the engineering career services office and this company called Bechtel that I had never heard of had come and was doing on-campus interviews. And I thought, oh, I don't know who they are. It's low stakes. I'll get a practice interview out of the way. Um, and here I am 20 years later, almost to the date. I was actually looking at the calendar. I interviewed with Bechtel on October 13. 2020, and we're recording this almost 20 years to the day after that, which is kind of crazy if I if I think about you know the journey of my of my career. Yeah, and that's you know we'll pick that apart next. I think that'll be interesting. It's not as common as it used to be to find someone who's been in one place. And, and tomorrow is the 20th anniversary, right, of you being. In yeah, tomorrow's it, which is nuts. I guess I'll have to celebrate somehow. Yeah, I, I believe there is a requirement. I don't know what it is. I, you know, marriages have, you know, tinsel and tin and, and diamond or whatever. I'm sure 20 years at, at Bechtel is is something, uh, but I don't know what, you know, what you have to celebrate with. Technically, I've got to wait till next August to celebrate my 20th anniversary with Bechtel. So I'll do a little pre, a pre-celebration because okay. okay, I didn't start until August of, of 2001. You've got a little time to do your research yeah. and plan, plan that appropriate. Yeah. That's good. So I think this is this is interesting though, which is um, if your early career is go explore some different options. You don't know what you don't know what's going to happen, and so you went with the you know not the intention of going to work for Becco, but you found obviously found a, an occupational journey that you've you've enjoyed. So you get your degree and go work for Bechtel, right? Yeah. So I, I got my degree and I started at Bechtel. I lived, um, I moved from Iowa at the time where I was going to school to Maryland and I started in the, in the power industry doing control system design. And then, you know, 19 years later, you know, nearly 20 years later, I've done quite a few different things for Bechtel and, and I've really appreciated the fact that I've been able to move around the country, try out different locations, try out different assignments and, and really figure out what it is that, that I enjoyed and, and where I wanted to make my career. Well, let's talk about that. So what do you what do you start doing when you first go there? When I when I first entered, um, when I first joined Bechtel, I was actually in the power industry and it was right around the time of the whole Enron collapse. So the power industry was a little bit up in the air. I think the, the position they had hired me in for kind of evaporated between when I had accepted my offer and when I started. And so they had me helping some of our senior technical experts in the company with tasks, you know, updating logic drawings, um, doing some investigations around, you know, alarms and things like that, that we were seeing at different plants from a control system perspective. So I really got a, a really good kind of first year on the job where I did a whole bunch of different things. I was really exposed to control system engineering, instrumentation, selection, that kind of thing um, from lots of different senior experts, which was a great way to learn. And, and I, I really kind of stuck to the control system aspect of things. And, and I really enjoyed that. And, and I was fortunate enough to have plenty of opportunities in my career to, to expand my knowledge and expertise in that area. A question that comes up all the time, you know, where are security experts in this space? Where do they come from? Are they are they cyber people that learn think about engineering and operating technology? Are they, you know, engineers, operating technology managers, you know, and folks 
that learns from cyber. You know, the truth is there's obviously a mix of both, but your background was really fundamentally uh, understanding. In fact, I think when you and I've talked before, cybersecurity doesn't come into focus for a while, halfway through your career. It's not even on the either at all or not part of the discussion, you know, much. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that was that was required on the projects I was working on at that time. Um, there may have been some requirements out there. I just wasn't exposed to it. So 10 years in or so before I was working on a project that had cyber requirements on operational technology. So that was that was kind of the first eye opener. And, and it it made me think back to early days of my career. You know, when we talked about that, um, one of the the first month I was at Bechtel, I was using a software tool called PC Anywhere to remote in to, a, you know, an operator workstation at a power plant that we were in the middle of commissioning. And I think back from a security perspective, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what were we doing? They let a call, you know, a college hire on the system. This is not secure. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and my question is a little bit leading in the you know, who, anywhere in the industry, you know, who was caring about that? I mean, it, it, nobody really was. And that came into being at some point, uh, but it doesn't go back that far. Um, right. you know, know, these systems and the practices were were not concerned with it and now it have to be. So what was the project that intersected cybersecurity into your career path? I was working on the design of a small modular nuclear reactor Um with with Zinbechtel and that actually, you know, had to follow the NRC requirements for cybersecurity from upfront design and, and on through. So um, based on my knowledge of control systems, I kind of got assigned the task of, hey, how, how do we set ourselves up for success, knowing that it'll be years before this project is ever constructed and anything? How do we set ourselves up for success and how we develop our program to address cybersecurity requirements? Yeah, it makes sense. So what information technology IT you know, non-control system related exposure, information, knowledge, training, education, had you had prior to this, you know, intersection? Formally, none. I mean, you know, I think I probably, well, I know I had taken some Microsoft, you know, back in like the early 2000 days, I took some Microsoft training on how to like load, you know, various different Microsoft operating stations and things like that. But otherwise, no formal training, a lot of on the job learning how to make control systems talk and how to make things work from that perspective. But it was all about learning from, you know, really smart people around me from an IT background, as well as from a control system background who maybe tinkered, you know, at home with networking and, you know, things like that. But one of the things I really enjoy working at a large company like Bechtel is that ability to learn from all these smart people around me. So you basically, you're, you're definitely coming from the formal engineering background, security intersects. You've been using technology. Microsoft is in operating, is, is operating systems is, are out there in the industrial environment. So you have that exposure as well, right? Cybersecurity comes in. I'm curious, right at that moment, uh, you know, or, or in that time frame, does cybersecurity intersect and then stay that, you know, constantly part of, is that a branch you stay in? Completely. It's clearly obviously something you're now focused on. Or do you come in and out of uh, the cybersecurity weave in and out of the next 10 years? I was out of it for a little bit. That project, unfortunately, you know, didn't materialize the the way we had hoped. And um, I found a different opportunity. I actually took an assignment at another Bechtel job in their quality department. So I was brought in to help look at like root cause analysis and, you know, process improvements and things like that based on some experiences I had earlier in my career. And it was one of those things at the time... I I was excited about that opportunity. I think a lot of people were questioning why I was going down that path, but it's been incredibly valuable in my cybersecurity career in terms of thinking about how processes work, how integration works, and and understanding like the root problem and and how that's so important when you're thinking about cybersecurity and cyber controls or risk mitigation. 
So let's go back to OJT. This is different in different companies. I think uh, reputationally, you, you, that was something that was huge or is a, a prominent thing at Beckman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a company, they encourage us to, to learn and, and grow in, in whatever way makes sense for us as, as a person. And so on-the-job training is the way that I'm most likely to learn and remember and retain that information. So that's definitely something that I've, I've appreciated in my career at Bechtel is how, how encouraged and, and available that is. Was that formal uh, as far as you, you sometimes were assigned to somebody, a mentor, or did you reach out to me? You ask, hey, can you tell me how that works? I mean, how did you initiate that? That's something for a lot of our listeners might be like, how do I, let's say their company doesn't have a formal program. You know, I think you're asking themselves, can I just ask somebody to give me that kind of advice? So um, I do have some formal mentors, but I found at least as it relates to my cybersecurity and my security experience, it's those informal conversations, the people I've worked with over the, you know, the, the last 20 years of my career that I respect and, and appreciate and, and you know, want to learn from that have always been available for me. Just picking up the phone, sending a quick email, a quick chat, whatever, whatever is most appropriate at that time and, and getting some information. So I've been fortunate that as it relates, especially to on the job training, there's been so many people that have been generous with their time. And I hope that I am as generous with my time when people call me with questions as, as others have been to me. You know, Katie, that comes up a lot too. Mentor, mentee, and being a mentor, being a mentee. Um, I'm not surprised. I think almost all of you, I would say that's a very common thread uh, between everybody who's been interviewed, that that's played a, a role in, in, their, in their career path. And I think sometimes, especially younger people wonder, how do you get that? And it seems very common each of you that you ask, you identify someone who who knows things you want to know and you ask them, right? Yeah. And I think early on in my career, that was something I was afraid to do. And and over time, I've, I've realized how important that is. And one of the big eye openers for me was even an experience I had this summer. There was an intern within, within Bechtel who wasn't you know working in my line of business, but was interested in what I was doing. And you know she just picked up the phone and called. And it was like so cool for me because I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody thinks what I, I do is cool and, and I want to be a mentor for them. And, and they weren't afraid to ask. And, and I realized, you know, oftentimes people that, that you want to call, they're not going to be upset or annoyed that you call them. So you might as well call and ask those questions. Everybody likes to share their knowledge in this industry. I found that, too, over the years. It's, it's, uh, and I don't know other, uh, many other industries very well. But uh, it does seem and I think it's been confirmed many times that uh, in the cybersecurity area, there's a lot of people. I think everybody's on the show has been like, I'm approachable. And so I hope that's something that people do take away from this is that you can reach out to people and say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I have a few minutes? Can I, you know, whatever feels natural and comfortable for you, but, but to be a, make a genuine approach. And if you're legitly genuine, you know, if it's legit, you're genuinely interested and you want to learn that people will share their knowledge with you. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, especially in OT cybersecurity, there's so few of us, right? And and there's such a big demand. And so as, as somebody who's been doing this as a career for the last many years, I just want to find ways to, to bring people on because I know that the problems are so huge that we need a much bigger workforce to, to be able to tackle those problems. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that's partly why CSA has grown so much and been in existence even though it wasn't our unit in a grand original plan is that the need was so high and the pain for so many people, like I need someone to talk to and it's big. And there's really obviously a major shortfall in, in positions. So when does security come back in and, and then let's lead, kind of lead up to what you're doing today? Little over four years ago, four and a half years ago, security came back in. I was working in the, in the quality organization. I was happy there. I mean, 
investigating problems and helping solve problems is, is cool as an engineer, right? And and I actually had a formal mentor at that time who, as we started talking and, and he learned some of my background around cybersecurity with control systems, he started to to kind of pepper me with some other questions. And and apparently he was part of a team that was looking to start up the Industrial Control System Cybersecurity Lab at Bechtel. Um, we recognized that, you know, as an integrator, construction, engineering, project management company, cybersecurity for control systems was not going away and we needed to get out in front of that. And one of the ways to do that was to you know, invest some money and, and stand up our cyber lab. And so they were looking for somebody to, to lead that from a technical perspective, but internal to the company, there wasn't a ton of us that had that experience. And so, you know, he started asking me questions about it and encouraged me to apply when the position was posted. And, and I was lucky enough and excited to get selected again. At that time, I wasn't looking for a job back in security, but this great opportunity fell in my lap. And I was like, oh, it's a culmination of, of everything I've done in my career all in one bucket. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And now would you say, you know, I think this is a, you know, important too for people. It's like, well, what career choice they're making? It's, it's got, we touched on the job shortage. This is part of it, but it's got unlimited possibility, right? As long as you ever want to work and delve into this problem, it's not a problem. It's not a static problem. It's a problem that's actually getting, getting more challenging. There's no end in sight as far as patient happiness, so to speak, and fulfillment. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I think back just four years ago, the problems we were looking at solving and how they've shifted over that period of time and how complex they are. And for me and, and what I value in terms of my career, you know, satisfaction, it's all about solving hard problems. And, and I can't think of another area where I'd have such changing problems on a daily basis. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, based on, on who you are, and why that's appeal. Yeah, it's, it's a thorny problem that gets more challenging. I, it's funny. I liken it to it like a if you're aiming to hit a target, but the target keeps changing size and moving around. It's like, that's a tough, uh, it's opportunity. Let's put a positive spin on it. Lots of opportunity. Any challenges along the way or now, and do you think especially, you know, career path choices, um, any challenges as a woman and anything you would pass on uh, to anyone, again, probably, you know, earlier or, or to managers to say, hey, you know, we got to stop doing practice X, Y, or Z. It's not good for us. We have a workforce issue. Let's stop doing or start supporting if you want to put a positive spin on something. You know, I, I work for a large engineering construction project management company. I, I'm a girl in engineering or I'm a woman in engineering. So there's definitely been challenges. But on the other hand, there's been so many advocates and allies along the way, both women and men in the industry that have really helped kind of provide me with the opportunities and the confidence. And it's not uncommon for me to go into a meeting and be the only woman in the room. And, and that's a challenge, right? You know, sometimes you look around, you're like, oh, gosh, where's my friendly face? Because there's nobody that looks like me. It's hard. But on the other hand, I think I really kind of use my mentors to help, you know, build up my confidence that I belong in this industry and I have something of value to add, even though I may not look like everybody else. And one of the things I've really focused on is I've built up my team is how do we make sure we get people of all kinds of different experiences? And because it's so important to solving all of these problems is how do you have people with all of these different ideas in their head that we can bring together? I love that. I mean, I, I think we think at its heart, that's CSA spirit too, which is let's bring all the different voices to the table. Let's have empathy for each other's positions that we might take and backgrounds and learn language that we might not know and work across the aisle, so to speak. And uh, so I, I love that. You and I are, are definitely on the same same page on that. Are there anything, I always like this question, you know, sometimes it really pops uh, something interesting out. If you had to go back, if you were sitting 20 years ago, sitting down across from Katie then, is there anything that you, you know, would tell her 
any advice you would give her now, knowing what you know now? Don't get discouraged. Just keep trying. I mean, oftentimes I think in this industry, just your willingness to keep showing up is is what matters. And there's been many challenges in my career. And sometimes it's technical challenges. Sometimes it's in dynamics in the workplace and things like that. But if you just keep going, it will continue to get better and you will have an opportunity to make it better for somebody else. Well, that's very great. Very optimistic. I like that response. And that's a positive message for everybody. Yeah. Stick through the tough times. There's good times. And as you become a leader, you get a chance to create like, I mean, you're creating teams that are diverse. I, I love it. Let's talk about teams. We aren't going to solve this in silos, right? We aren't going to solve this. It's all going to be about collaboration in a company or between companies, all, all the above, right? In government and private sector working together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the challenges that I I kind of faced four years ago when we were thinking about OT and and control system cybersecurity was your engineers in in our company kind of own the control system, but the knowledge around cybersecurity came from our IT department. And they um, are both incredibly talented departments, but they speak different languages. And so, you know, how do you bring people together who want to accomplish the same goal, but speak completely different? And and the processes are foreign to one another. And the expectation for how quick things will change in the IT world is much different than than how quickly things will change in the OT world. And so how do you overcome those and and build kind of the relationship? Everybody can understand we're we're all in this together and we're all trying to accomplish the same goal. And, you know, some days we're we're more successful at that than others. But, you know, kind of going back to before, just just keep moving. And and if you continue to make forward progress, you've made um, tomorrow just a little bit better than today. Yeah. You know, I want to touch back on um, women. You know, you talked about how how it can be, you know, your experience can certainly be male dominated. We've done some, you know, we we now do some research and we, you know, our constituency base is 90, over 90% men. We see a little bit of movement, we think, between year on year on, on the percentage going from maybe 96% men to 92% men. So we're making some progress. What can we do about that? And what, you know, what's your message maybe to young women engineers out there about this being an opportunity space? Just Oh, goodness, that's, that's a hard one. I mean, I think... Um, you know, the thing I would encourage men to think about is how can they be, you know, sensitive or compassionate to women and, and how they may be different kind of in terms of what they're looking for in, in the workplace or how they may want to engage and, and, and interact kind of outside of the workplace. That's more of a stereotype than, you know, across the board, if you will. But I think it's really making sure that the men and leaders are, are open and inviting and ensuring that women's voices are heard in the conversation. That does a whole lot to make it more comfortable for other women to join. And then, of course, you know, there's always outreach we can be doing as professionals to high schools, colleges, or even elementary schools to encourage women and and girls at that young age to be interested in these more STEM-related fields and and eventually cybersecurity. So I know there's some great programs out there around like coding for, you know, learning how to code for for girls and and for teenagers and and things like that. So participating in those types of programs, I think, is, is really important. But then in the workplace, making sure that your leaders are really focused on creating that like inclusive environment is so important. Yeah, you and I are on the same page on, on all those things. Um, so uh, what do you see as the biggest challenge slash opportunity, I guess, two sides of the same coin in this space? Um, I think people are looking at like, what are the problems? You like problems. You know, what are the problems that are not solved today? And as far as I'm concerned, or, you know, not going to be concerned, solved tomorrow, bigger, bigger problems. 
that people really need to be thinking, the inventors, the people that are going to come up with things that don't exist today? What are some of the biggest challenges that, that you see in the space today? So when I think about control systems, cybersecurity specifically, you know, so much of the, the great work that's been done over the last 10 years to really advance the industry have, have been looking at the IT layer of a control system. But I think, you know, as technology evolves over the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe five years, the way well, as quickly as technology evolves today, how are we going to adapt when we're no longer using, you know, the four to 20 milliamp signals that are instruments and everything becomes much more digital than it is today? And I think there's going to be this huge transformation. And I imagine the technology is there today, but the willingness to adopt that technology for safety reasons and reliability reasons probably isn't there. So how do we make that shift? Because, you know, when we do that, the data that will be available that will allow us to address cyber issues as well as performance issues will be so incredibly available and it'll really be transformational in terms of how control systems are designed and how plants are operated in the future. Yeah, you just said that it might be one of these potential little nuggets, which is around, you know, some people might not want to adopt cybersecurity as their number one proposition, but there's positive things that they do care about, uptime, efficiency, knowledge, whatever. And some innovation adoption could give could deliver on both, right? So there's something to be said for selling something that needs to be done, selling its attributes in a language that the receiver wants to hear. Like, oh, that I can prioritize, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, early on in, in ICS Cyber Lab, that was some of the early wins we got in terms of incorporating cyber into design. If, if it also gave another benefit, it became a lot easier to sell it. And then people realized, oh, this cyber stuff isn't so bad after all. It's not so hard. It's not so expensive. So I think as technology evolves, um, we're as an industry going to have to think about how we communicate the, the benefits of it to make it adoptable for folks. I think that's a big area right there. Big that, that is a kind of a nugget, which is no matter what role somebody's in, if you can figure out whoever you're talking to or need to convince of something, what's important to them, there may be the cybersecurity project or initiatives might have some attributes that are that they're more keen about, and that, that there's something very wise about incorporating that, and understanding that in your communications. Yeah, voice of the customer. In in this case, the customer is the operator, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Do you see any emerging technologies as exciting areas? People are like, you know, where can I go? I get, I've heard this question, you know, what can I get into now? Is it AI? Is it machine learning? What can I get into now that five years from now or 10 years from now, I could be an extremely valuable person in this space? Yeah, so I think anything in the data space, you know, data analytics, AI, machine learning, um, whichever term is appropriate, because <laughs> I know they can be used somewhat interchangeably, even though they are different. Anything from a data perspective is important. When you think about cybersecurity, data becomes the foundation of how you properly defend. And, and so I think that's really valuable. There, there's a potential that 5G and other kind of next generation wireless technologies could transform things as well. So maybe not being an expert in it, but at least understanding the differences of that and how it would apply in, in the control system space, I think would be helpful and, and important as well and, and give somebody kind of a leg up. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, communication, new communication uh, methodology, technology. Uh, I think that's everybody making career choices right now. These are things. These are things worth looking into. And like you said, you don't need to become an expert. I, I have heard this idea of just just learn enough of this other area, even if you're just doing it on the side and it's not formal. Just learn enough of this, and then when that is part of your discussion and part of how you talk about things, you have the context of 5G and and maybe machine learning or things like that. It'd be amazing how you know how you may be perceived by others. You know, not buzzwords, not like learning a couple buzzwords from those spaces. You got to go a little deeper than that. But you don't need to become an expert to become, 
you know, be regarded as well, you know, as well-rounded, right? And understanding a bunch of different pieces of these puzzle pieces that are, you know, I guess a puzzle we're trying to all build together. Yeah. And I mean, I think that kind of relates back to a little bit of my cybersecurity career. I had a couple years of experience in cybersecurity. I had many years of control systems, so I could speak it enough. And then all of a sudden, Bechtel, you know, is standing up this cyber lab and and they, they pick me. So, you know, I wasn't an expert at that point, you know, when they picked me and took a chance on me. But over time, I've, I've grown into kind of a much deeper level of knowledge because I've had to apply it on a daily basis. Well, let me ask you, this is a question I've seen play out on panels and things, and I'm always conflicted because I'm not in an operator's shoes. And so I know why people hold these opinions deeply. Do you think that best cybersecurity people for this space, staff members, do they come from operating technology, understanding the ICS control system stuff and learn the cyber, much like your path, or IT and cyber people that learn some of the operating stuff, or you know what, come from either way, it doesn't really matter. What's your vision on that? So my vision and and one of the things, you know, we've we've looked at internally as we've been developing our internal capabilities at Bechtel is it really shouldn't matter where you come from. It should matter kind of what skills you've picked up and what is your willingness to learn and communicate with somebody that maybe comes from a different background than you do, because this is all about collaboration. It's all about understanding how to work together. And, and so one of the things I was you know most proud about with my team is when we stood it up, we intentionally picked a couple people from both backgrounds and put a little bit of a experience in place to see how it would work. And there was lots of bumps along the way, but I think it's made us better for that as an organization. Well, that's awesome. What are you excited about for the future? Um, I'm excited about cybersecurity for control systems being more like mainstream. Yeah, I've seen a lot of change in in the last four or five years there, but um, I'm excited about it being a topic of conversation rather than something that you do just because you have to. So that, that excites me. I'm excited to see, you know, where, where my team goes in terms of coming up with different ways and innovative ways to harden the systems we're turning over for our customers. That, that excites me because every plant that, that is a little bit safer from a security perspective today than it was yesterday is a positive thing for all of us. Yeah, measuring progress has got to be half. It's going up, not like, how far do we have to go? Don't measure that. Just say we're making progress. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, I share that. Well, wow, it's been such a delight to have Katie Fearson on the CSA podcast. She is the ICS Cybersecurity Laboratory Technical Director at Bechtel Corporation. What a pleasure, Katie. Thank you for sharing your time and your journey with uh, with our listeners. Thanks so much. 